Hey there, and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast. I'm your host for today, Amy Steed. We've got a great show for you today. We'll be touching on a couple things. Hot take it or leave it and pastoral mailbag. I don't know what that entails, but I'm kind of excited to find out. So here we go. I'm going to let JP take it from there because he knows what to do. We're going to introduce people first. We're joined today by Justin Kemmer. Minor details. As usual, go Bills. Go Bills. Uh, Danny Turner. Hey, Redemption Church. Go Bengals, who actually won this week. Yay, Bengals. And Amy Steed, who's already introduced herself. I, I introduced, the, I'm the host-ish, because I don't really know what I'm doing, but I like to do the beginning part of this segment. And I'm your backup host for today, <laughs> just in case Amy suffers a knee injury and can't go in, yeah. uh, JP Gaylord. All right, so we're introducing a new segment. Uh, called Hot Take It or Leave It, where I share five opinions and we go around the horn and you guys can either agree with me or you can disagree and explain why you disagree. Agree with you. The statement? You're, you're going to state your opinion first? I will be stating my opinion first. Or these are all, all five of these will be your opinion. All five of these are my opinion. Okay. Uh, I will defend myself if necessary. Not by kicking in the shins, <laughs> but <laughs> I will defend myself. The so, European form of fighting is what, is what we've right. learned. Yep. Uh, you saw Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling in Europe. They have shin kicking contests. There you go. Uh, all right. Hot take number one. It is okay to start using pumpkin spice. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not a huge pumpkin spice fan. Amy's making a weird face. What? Justin's distracted because a door was squeaking. We thought like we had to start doors. over. It's okay. Matt, you can say hi. It's okay. <laughs> Matt Thompson, everyone. <laughs> a round of applause. Right, what was the hot take? Uh, the hot take was it is okay to start using pumpkin spice in coffee, mm. in baking, in whatever it may be. Yes. I would say Absolutely. I actually think that pumpkin spice is a thing that you can do all year long. Um, mostly because I think pumpkin spice has less to do with the pumpkin flavor, more to do with like the cinnamon sugar deal. Mm, okay. Kind of like apple cider and cinnamon and sugar donuts. Yeah, it's an all year thing. Okay. Ooh, I, I don't agree with that. Can I disagree with you? This will be Amy's last week on the podcast. It has been a fun run, but... I don't think it should be year-round. Ew. In the summer, you're like, ooh, I can't wait to have some pumpkin spice. <laughs> Sounds delicious when it's 95 degrees. <laughs> she does bring up a valid point, Danny. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> By the way, this was uh, JP's hot take, not my hot that take. That is true. Yep. That is true. And I didn't define being able to use it all year, though. I just said it is now okay to start using pumpkin spice. Justin hasn't. Uh, leave it. It's never okay to use pumpkin spice. Anything pumpkin is extremely gross. Uh, just think of carving a pumpkin 
sticking your hand into it, the gross sliminess really yeah. uh, carries over into anything related to pumpkin. The only redeeming value of the pumpkin is actually the pumpkin seed. Mm-hmm. If you were to bake off some of those, maybe a little little salt, uh, that is the redeeming value of the pumpkin. Pumpkin pie is gross. Pumpkin spice gross is gross. Pumpkin lattes are gross. However you want to pumpkin it up, it's disgusting. I, I know that's not. See, do you even carve pumpkins? I get stuck carving pumpkins. Exactly. That's when my, my life. kids want to carve pumpkins every year, you know, with some extended family, and they are committed for about 30 seconds. And then it's that's like, true. oh, I guess, I guess I'm taking over here. All right. That is accurate. So you but don't the make So my take seeds, is accurate. Good. Pumpkin seeds, I would agree with, but everything else, I disagree. I like pump. I have. I had pumpkin spice. Now I make my own, because sometimes pumpkin spice can taste very or smell very potpourri. Mm. Yes, mm. that's not okay. See, I think there's a fine line too, because I mean, cinnamon is good. Yes, it is. So, so it's like I do feel like some things that are described as pumpkin spice are basically cinnamon, and so then you. you're just being manipulated. Yes. Yeah. Through, the, through the fall season to waste your money. <laughs> I make, can I say, pumpkin spice creamer. Yeah. And it's just coconut milk. Okay. Two tablespoons, but it's canned coconut, not like coconut milk in a jar. Okay. And then two tablespoons of pumpkin puree, and then cinnamon, nutmeg, and a little bit of vanilla. Mm. And you Lost blend me it a up. coconut. Really? Yeah, coconuts are awful too. It doesn't matter what form it is. Coconut just takes me to the fingernail texture. Ew. That's what it is. I'm definitely I mean, not if you eating ever have coconut. coconut. It's it's fingernails. I agree, yeah. but it's coconut milk. That's totally I different. Know, but again, it's just you know, we can one agree to category of a substance spoils the rest. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, So so that's what you say. You think? I I think it's okay to start using pumpkin spice. That was my original opinion. I still agree. I really enjoy the changing of seasons, and so by the end of one season, I'm usually looking forward to the next. So I've been waiting to be able to start wearing flannel shirts again, Um, and I've been waiting to be able to kind of dive into the whole pumpkin spice thing. Mm. So that's just me, though. But when flannel shirts come, that means just cold, rainy. See, that's what my wife thinks too. Blech. Yeah, I don't like that. I, it doesn't just mean cold and rainy. It means chilly. Well, she didn't say just cold and rainy. She said cold, rainy, and, and blah. blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The last two days have been miserable. Yeah. Maybe oh. three. Actually, I lied. Three, maybe even four. Saturday was terrible. I sat yeah. in a soccer game in the rain. The worst. Just saying. We kind of got off All right. yeah. subject. I need to go let the intern in. So you guys talk amongst yourself. Well, give about us our it. next take it first. Okay. Uh, Danny, can you yeah. let Amber in? Okay. Uh, the next hot take it or leave it. Uh, we're going to go a little bit spiritual on this one. And the hot take is the chosen makes me a little uncomfortable with its creative liberties, but I'm glad other people enjoy it. I'll say that again for Danny. The Chosen makes me a little uncomfortable with its creative liberties, but I'm glad other people enjoy it. So I'm not saying it's a bad show. 
I'm just saying I struggle sometimes when I watch it because of some of the creative liberties and the weird connections or things that happen in the show where you're like, wait a minute. Like, I don't remember that. Like, uh, there was one where one of the it was one of the disciples, right? Was related to the guy at the pool of Siloam in John 5. Yeah, I, I yes. haven't watched Thaddeus. all of the okay. episodes yet, so I cannot agree or disagree. I've only watched, we're still in the first season. Okay. And I've liked it so far, but I, I, I'm not going to say I agree or disagree. So I like it in the sense that uh, it's, it's really interesting to see them put so much meat on the bones of scripture uh, and give such a rich perspective and story around the gospel story. But there are times where I'm like, uh, yeah, like I don't know why you would have put that in there. And so I hear people really, really liking it and enjoying it and I'm happy for them. But I just kind of find it a little more distracting personally uh, than helpful at times. So that's my hot take. Agree or disagree? I, I guess I'm a, I'm a leave it guy. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen all all the chosen. I enjoy the chosen. I I'm just I don't read into it too much. I mean, there's certainly some very ac accurate depictions of of scripture and context, but certainly when you're creating something that there is going to be liberties involved and, yeah. and I think I'm able to just leave it at that. There are, there are some creative liberties. So it doesn't, doesn't take me to an extra biblical place in my belief or, or theology. Um, but just, you know, one, one man's or, uh, one interpretation, uh, in a creative way. Um, so I enjoy it, but I totally get what you're saying. Fair enough. Can I ask you to aim the microphone at your mouth? I mean, I'm on it. You're on it, but it's aimed at like your chin. There we go. Now it's aimed up your nose. That's great. We will make sure to sterilize the microphones after this week's episode. Well, I was Danny. Gonna, I was going to slouch in my chair. Yeah, but then so I, said, I haven't seen The Chosen. Um, a ton of people have recommended it to me. We have not watched it. Um, I've heard kind of the things that you're describing happening in that show. Um, I prefer Veggie Tales for my Bible uh, mm. kind of television. This is good. Um, they're pretty spot on. <laughs> yep. So there you I like go. It. I like it. Take it. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Danny's not against the chosen. He just prefers Veggie Tales. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one. This is a fun one. Beauty and the Beast is the pinnacle of all Disney princess movies. Wow. Boom. Mic drop. Dang, episode dude. over. Of all of them? All of them. Can we hear the reason why? Well, first of all, it's my wife's favorite Disney mm, princess that's a, movie. That's a strong Sorry, yeah. Second of all, it happens in France, and I have... France has a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, the depictions of French people in that movie, I feel like, are quite accurate. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I don't know. I just I think it's better than the other ones. Have the story's you seen interesting. Frozen? <laughs> I have seen Frozen, mm. unfortunately, too many times. That's, that's my only comment. All right, Justin, uh, Amy, uh, leave it. Leave it. Okay. Whereas probably, you know, <laughs> at, 
at the core of Beauty and the Beast, mm. you have a love story between a a woman and a a, a beast. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, but it, it's it's a prince. He's a gentle giant. Yeah. The, what if the curse doesn't? But listen, if the curse wasn't broken, yeah. she was going to live lifelong in love with a beast. Was but the curse was broken. What, what was she not though? Yeah. I, did she know about the curse? I think, no, she didn't. Not until exactly. the very end. Okay. Exactly. So she was open to a different relationship. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what's uh, what's your take on the live action Beauty and the Beast? Hang on. I feel like we need some kind okay. of disclaimer here, but I'm not prepared to give one. <laughs> Emma Watson? That's why oh, I should have just left yeah. it. Yeah. I, I should have left it at leave it. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's just a, that's a weird, that's a weird story. I know, but the irony of the whole story is the guy who's pursuing her while a human uh, is actually a beast, whereas the guy she ends up loving is a gentleman in the form of a beast. There's beautiful literary. I can appreciate the irony. Yeah. But weird. Moana? It's <laughs> just going to keep throwing saying. them out there. What are the values in Moana other than the rock voiced? The music's great. Uh, yeah. It is. It's in Hawaii, I think. Yeah. Agreed. So mm. those are two good things. I know. I, I, I have to I have to leave it only because it's no. not my favorite. What what is your favorite? I just I don't know if I can really choose a favorite right at this very moment, but we're forcing you to. We're not moving on to the next I question. I really did like Frozen. I really liked um no I, Tangled with the Tangled redhead? was a good one. No, she's the blonde. Okay. The Little Mermaid was the, the Little Mermaid. Okay. No the newer one with the curly redhead. Oh brave. oh, brave. Yeah. I don't think I've ever watched I don't that. Know if I've seen that one. Does Bo Peep count as a princess in Toy, <laughs> in Toy Story? Because Toy Story is my favorite yeah, Disney Toy movies. Yeah, so can yeah. it be somehow considered a, a princess? Mm, that's a bit of a stretch. Okay. It's also a bit of a stretch to fall in love with a beast, but. Who's <laughs> <laughs> counting? Wow. Wow. This segment is the proving lost to be. This week, so. Justin's a little Well, since we did mention movies, I guess it's probably time if I can pull up the documents for our disclaimer. <laughs> which says the previously cited movies are not endorsed by Redemption Church or its leadership. They have not been checked for inappropriate content or offensive language uh, or offensive content and should be engaged with at the consumer's own risk, which in all fairness, Justin did point out a few moments ago. So that being said, let's move on to the next hot take, uh, which is the Lions will win five games or less this season. Wow! Oh, that, uh, that's a complete leave it for me. I think they're for sure gonna win over five games. I'm not even saying five games or less. I'm yeah. saying over five games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd say leave it to they are uh, an eight and nine team to me. Okay. And that's like that's the worst thing for Detroit though. Like when your team should be winning more, I think that they're in that that realm, but they're not and they're going to underperform. 
Okay, so you're you're agreeing with him that he's they're not going to. I'm saying that they're going to win more than five games. They're not huh. the bottom of the barrel. They're in the middle of the pack. No. See, and I just point out, and I think Josh said as much earlier, is they just they are like an eight and nine team. Yeah. They just somehow always find a way to lose. Winners find a way to win in adverse circumstances. Uh, the Lions somehow just find a way to lose. That's why I stopped being a Lions fan three years ago, and I can pinpoint the exact moment where I realized it. Yep. It was uh, the opening game, what, two, three seasons ago? DeAndre Swift's rookie uh, year, and they had a chance to beat the Bears in the final seconds, and he dropped a pass in the end zone, wide open for the win. So, I watched that live. I was done. That was bad. That was very bad. That's too bad. All right, Amy. I agree. <laughs> and I'm not a sports fan, so you all know that. I do not think they'll win, but I don't really care either. Mm. That's fair. Yeah, if you care too much about the Lions, you're, you're in for a world of hurt. All right, should we move on to the final one? Bring it yep. up. Hot take number five. If you're going to choose a gospel to do devotions in, it should be the gospel of Luke. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Controversy. That is a hot take. Jeez. <laughs> Maybe uh, people listening were not ready for that, so I'll, I'll say it again. Yeah. If you're going to choose a gospel to do devotions in, it should be the gospel of Luke. Here's my reasoning. Bring it on. Luke has a lot of little stories, and when you look at common stories throughout specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke tends to have the most unique stories that are only in Luke, whereas Matthew will have a lot more shared stories that you can find in other gospels. So that's why I tend to like the gospel of Luke. Luke also writes from, I don't know, kind of a more academic perspective and a more historical perspective. Uh, and so I, I guess I appreciate that. I know a lot of people love the gospel of John. If I can just be honest, uh, the gospel of John, while good and biblical, really confuses me sometimes. That's fair. Don't look so shocked, Amy. Oh, no, I was trying to remember what was one of the things that they we you asked a question many episodes ago, remember? And he said, mm -hmm. if you were going to point someone, didn't you say the gospel yeah, of John? Yeah, I said the gospel of John. How dare he say that? Yeah, but I understand. I'm kidding. It is, it is um, John's language is strange in parts. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're all great in their different ways. I don't know if I would pick one. I would go with Luke. Um, so, I don't know. Okay. I'm reading through Mark right now. Mark's a good one. Mark's good. Mark's concise. He is. <laughs> yep. Uh-oh, Justin's looking stuff up over there. Oh, no, I was fine. I vote in abstentia because why not? You, I don't have a, I don't have a take it or, or leave it. Yeah, read them all. What, Luke would be a great place. What if Will comes up to you and says, Dad, I really want to read one of the Gospels. Mm. What That's Gospel fair. should yeah, I start with? Yeah, which one would you with? go to? Mark, because he's just being left out of this conversation. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what I'm reading. <laughs> That's right. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, Do Matthew, the long I genealogies. I, I'm, 
I honestly don't so. know. I mean, certainly with, with Matthew, you have uh, Sermon on the Mount, which mm. can be real practical, confusing at times still. Yeah. Um, just even right from the outset, you know, blessed is the man and, and all those languages. Well, what, what does it mean? Well, mm-hmm. there's a lot of kingdom language in Matthew as well, but certainly there's some practicality to Sermon on the Mount. They're all walking through different pieces of the life of Jesus, some of very obviously commonalities between all the gospels. I would probably lean towards John though. I think, I think there's, yeah, I guess that's it. So I, I guess I can't vote in absentia. You made me land on John, which means I leave it. Wow. All right. Justin, yeah. have you left every single opinion I've given? <laughs> I think you have. Uh, come on. Uh, <laughs> pumpkin spice, you hate. Yeah. You left the opinion on The Chosen. Yeah. Uh, you left the opinion on Beauty and the Beast because that's too much of a stretch. Yeah. Uh, you thought the Lions would win more than five games and you would do the Gospel of John over the Gospel of Luke. So, all right. Wow, JP. I will have my resignation in by 2 p.m. today. I can see where this relationship is heading. All right. Uh, did you vote, Amy? I didn't vote. What would you? Got? I'm just going to say I liked what you said, so mm-hmm. I would take it. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. One of the few tickets on my opinions today. Well, there you go. I, I felt, I felt gonna, bad for you. I don't know if we're going to bring this segment back. It's been crushing to my little ego. Um. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to uh, pastoral mailbag and just ask a few questions here. Uh, the first one is regarding emotion. And we talk often about not wanting our faith or our practice of faith to push into what we call emotionalism. Uh, but I think we've also said that we don't want it to be devoid of emotion. So I guess the question is essentially how much emotion or what role does emotion play. How much emotion is appropriate in faith and what role should emotion play in our faith? I think you should define emotionalism. That's good. I've heard it mostly from Josh and Justin. So maybe maybe Justin should explain. I don't I don't remember specifically ever define, defining emotion, but emotionalism. Oh. Not just emotion. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think if you're talking about emotionalism, you're talking about a, a response that is solely, if not strongly, leaning heavily on emotion, and in that context, probably void of maybe truth, void of leading of the Holy Spirit. And really what becomes primary in that moment is a, a, le- a self-leading response. And so I think that's where you can you know, test yourself and test your responses in different situations in life. And hey, is this spirit-led or is this a self-led response? Because even our makeup, you know, oftentimes some will boil down just part of our identities to our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so I don't think there is ever 
a response in our lives that isn't somewhat emotive. Where emotions are always going to play a part in our lives, in our responses, in our beings. But is that going to lead the way? Or is it going to be fully emotive? Is it going to be fully with our, our hearts, minds, and souls? And is our emotions working against or compatible or you know, working in, uh, I can't find the word right now, but have a compatibility with God's word, with the leading of, of the Holy Spirit? Um, because I think emotions are important. I mean, I, I've sat down with people and, and they've described themselves as feelers. And so as you're preaching God's word, you know what I mean? Truth, truth, truth. Here it is. It's right here on paper. Just do it. Or when you're talking about the presence of God, well, he's seemed distant or, and that's, and that's kind of, he feels distant or he, he seems silent. And, and that those are, are felt experiences that that individual is, is walking through. And that's not just those, those are the realities. I think we're, it, what it comes down to is are we defining or are we interpreting truth, our lives, how we view God, how we view our world, how we view one of each other in community solely through an emotive lens or is it with emotion? Is our emotions being defined by God's word? Are our emotions being led by the spirit? That's good. Amy, Danny, any thoughts? Yeah, um, I agree with essentially everything you said, Justin. Um, I think that um, in the realm of um, following Jesus and doing church and living life and um, kind of all the things that we're talking about, um, there comes a point where um, you have to inform your feelings on what God's word um, says is true. At the same time, God wants you um, to love him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Um, that's a core part of um, his teaching, right? That's the greatest commandment is to do that. Um, and so there's, a, there's also, you know, a pushback on um, some um, kind of practices of Christianity that are very, um, for more, more or less rigid um, in their practice, like um, that would be um, kind of like skeptical of um, people showing real true emotion. Um, and I think like a, just a practical way of talking about um, this, and that you've, you've probably heard me say this, um, before, but I love the example of like the emotion that you show, show when your favorite football team scores a touchdown on Sunday. If that's getting up off the couch and cheering, if that's going like, yes, like just from your seat, um, that is to some degree the emotion that you should show towards what the Lord has done for you in the gospel um, on Sunday morning. Um, and that's just one instance of um, where I think this kind of gets practical. Um, but it, you know, the, the idea that you can kind of just silently have a reverence for God that um, you really um, don't have to show um, more, much more than just kind of like a head nod to him on Sunday morning. Um, it's kind of silly to me because we're just not wired like that. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think there's a lot, lot of ways you can take that conversation, um, but I think there's definitely a balance between the two. I think there's a piece of it too where I think oftentimes maybe a natural context where we look at this is in worship, singing, the, the Sunday morning 
uh, worship experience, if, if I can use that, that word. Um, and, and we look at the gospels and, and it talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. It doesn't say spirit, truth, and emotions, but I think the beauty of that scripture is that if you're worshiping in spirit and in truth, it's going to be a, bring a purity to the emotions that are displayed. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I've definitely, you know, when this question comes up, I can think immediately of examples of people who push too far to either side, uh, people who, you know, try and get emotions all riled up. Otherwise they don't feel like they've truly worshiped or been to church or the Holy spirit isn't moving, uh, might be some coded language for that. Um, and I've also seen people who, uh, so distrust emotions uh, that it feels like they're doing every single thing they can to get it out of their faith in their life. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's not like when God created, uh, you know, the father's shaping humanity out of the dust of the earth and he turns to the son and says, hey, check this out. I'm going to give them emotions and they're not going to know what to do with them. Like it's not some divine prank that God pulled on humanity. Like all of us are physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we're meant to commune with God. And I think emotions are a huge part of that. Uh, So rather than immediately punting to the opposite side of things and saying, well, I don't want there to be emotion, so look what the crazy emotional people do. Or, man, there has to be emotion, so look what the crazy emotionalist people do. Uh, I think, yeah, it's all about trying to find that middle ground, uh, making sure that, like you said, you're not led by emotion, but at the same time, your emotion, presence of or lack thereof, can really be a good indicator of what's going on. Uh, there was a song by a band named Lifehouse, like back, gosh, way too long ago. Um, and one of their songs basically said, uh, how can I stand here with you and not be moved by you? And I think, Danny, that kind of presses into what you were saying about this is the eternal creator of the universe who has set aside his divinity to come pay for my sin and rescue me and place me back into right fellowship with him. I get that maybe I'm not like super hyped up 24 hours a day, seven days a week on that because you can't be. But at the same time, if I'm regularly in worship and or, or church or thinking about these truths, if I call myself a Christian and I just find myself not being blown away by that from time to time, there's probably something wrong. Uh, maybe I don't understand it. Uh, maybe I don't feel close. Maybe like there, but that's a symptom. Uh, again, you're not necessarily being led by it, but you're allowing it to speak into, you know, your your experience of faith and and your faith to determine what's going on. So, all right. Hold on, I want to quick add one thing yeah. because this is the only thing I can say about this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I always bring it back to kids because mm. I'm the kid ministry director, right? And even when we're in class on Sundays or mm. at home with our kids, right now yours is a little bit different because yeah. that's all Kai can show is emotions, right? <laughs> yeah, like <man. laughs> he needs to eat or yeah. whatever. But as the kids grow and as we grow, we it's like our emotions maybe as a new believer are going to look differently than as we grow 
in our mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. And I think of that with my kids. Like one of my children specifically is very emotional. And so we're constantly working and breaking down that barrier because it's the only thing that they can see. And so I just think of that, you know, as kids and how emotions run high and their blinders may be only on one way, but as they grow and learn more um, about God or how to control their emotions, it's going to change. Mm. If that has anything to do with what we were just talking about. That's just what I think about, you know, with the kids. And even like when we were taught, you were talking about worship, like we just went over the, um, like the main question was, what is worship? What what does worship look like? So we really talked with our kids at Redemption, like how do we worship? What, What is the right way to worship. I did air quotations. You guys can't see that, you know, but it's just all good things that the kids need to learn as they grow in their faith. I think, I think that totally applies. And honestly, though, certainly there are emotional responses as kids that we probably need to learn to contain and and develop coping skills as, as you grow. I would say though, for us as adults, there, maybe there is a place for us to actually show more childlike emotion, not the immaturity of that emotion, but just there is just a uniqueness and even a depth of the emotion of a child and their relationship with Jesus that maybe we as adults actually over time grow hardened to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we probably could actually learn from, from our kids in that way. That's good. So the last question uh, we're going to tackle Take care of, handle. I don't know what I was you thinking. You're going to have like a combination of all three. I was, we're going to dominate it. Yeah, yes. we're going to dominate it. Uh, so let's just blitz this question with the gospel. Uh, what should we expect from the Holy Spirit in our day to day lives? Uh, and kind of the context of the question is uh, charismatics, for example, would have one list of things that we expect the Holy Spirit to do. Uh, non-charismatics would probably have a different list of things that they expect the the spirit to do in their lives on a day-to-day basis. Um, Is it just limited to sanctification and wisdom giving? Uh, If so, what does that look like? Or is there more deeper interaction that we can have or should be expecting to have with the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis? Go. Amy, why don't you kick us off on this one? I don't have anything profound like you guys probably will add to this conversation. This doesn't necessarily have to do with day to day, but I think like we've had multiple conversations with friends and family members and everything about like, when did you actually become a believer? When did the Holy Spirit, you know, blah, 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 blah. But this is where I think it's only between you and Jesus in God and the Holy Spirit when that actually happens. And so to expect certain things to happen every day because maybe I'm lacking in that area, I don't know if there's an expectation, but if you are a Christ follower, then I definitely think that there are certain things that you could be doing every day, if that makes sense. But I wouldn't say there's like a specific list that you have to follow. Yeah, and I just to clarify, I don't know that this is meant to be a mechanical thing. Like right. the Holy Spirit is a vending machine. Go put a prayer in, hit A5, and out pops some Frito-Lays or anything. Correct. Like, 
Okay. So my real life example, which is always part, you know, how we all have redemption stories. And, you know, early in our marriage, John and I had um, fertility issues and, you know, you can pray as hard as you can. Like, please, Lord, just give us a baby. Give us a baby. Please just give us a baby. And it didn't happen. So is that like, why didn't the Holy Spirit allow that to happen? You know what I mean? And so I just think it wasn't a day-to-day it didn't happen like overnight. It didn't happen. It took years. And so I just don't think there's a, I don't know how to explain that. Like, I don't think there's a specific way. He worked in our lives through that whole entire process. Mm -hmm. And it took a really long time for me to let it go and give it over to him. So maybe that's part of it is letting the Holy Spirit lead and not you let let yourself lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, that's good because it brings up an important thing uh, when there are health issues, for example, do you go to the Holy Spirit expecting, not expecting like demanding, but saying, hey, this is something that the Holy Spirit does. Let me bring the Holy Spirit in on this versus, no, I really expect the Holy Spirit to sanctify me through this. And so the prayer would be less God heal me and more God, help me see what you have for me in this. Give me patience, uh, strengthen my faith, rather than God heal me or perform this miracle. So uh, again, because I don't know that hopefully none of us are going to God saying, hey, you promised to do this, so do it now uh, with that kind of attitude, uh, you know? So I guess maybe that's more the question. What are we expecting? Because we talk about the Holy Spirit being an important part of Christian life. What are we actually expecting him to accomplish in our life? I think, the most, I think it's always been difficult for us as human beings living in the physical. And even oftentimes why even historically we probably minimize the, the power of the work. The, the movement of the Holy Spirit in the, in the here and now because we're talking about a spirit. And so there's, there's unseen aspects of it. Um, there's unfelt aspects of it, if, even if going off our, our conversation of emotions. And so certainly scripture has to inform our, our thinking and our process. And I don't, I don't, I don't even where my mind goes is not necessarily even distinctions between charismatic or, or non-charismatic beliefs on, on the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, try, it's trying to shift back and look at scripture and what it says about the Holy Spirit. And so certainly anytime you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about a presence and you're talking about power, which again, even, even me personally challenges my own expectations on the Holy Spirit because it seems when there's been times in my life when I have been at least attempted to be reliant on the Holy Spirit or expecting some power of the Holy Spirit over sin battles or, you you know, trials and weights that you're carrying. And it's in those moments where it's like, wow, it really appears that I was quite powerless. So, so where were, where was the Holy Spirit? And again, we got to continue to, to define and, and view the Holy Spirit biblically. And so it's like my mind goes to the things that scripture says about the Holy Spirit, about his presence, about his power, that he does convict us of sin. He does strive with us against sin. There's a salvation and dwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's 
opportunity to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. And and so there's the opportunity to be consistently reliant on the filling of, of the Holy spirit. There's the illumination, some of that wisdom piece where, you know, ask of God and James ask, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it liberally. Believe that the spirit has power there to illuminate and to give us wisdom, but then you have the gifting. So there's giftings in our lives that are from the Holy Spirit. And then you see the, the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I think oftentimes we minimize because, hey, unseen, unseen aspect of, of who our God is. But, this, but the Holy Spirit is 100% God and there can be a more reliant aspect of our lives on the Holy Spirit even in the times when we do feel powerless. And I think oftentimes we miss the small things because we're only expectant of the, the major things in our lives. And so even when love is displayed in the home and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and kindness are displayed in the home, like how is that, how is that possible on a, on a Jesus-centered way or a gospel-centered way. Well, it's through the power of, of the Holy Spirit or the different giftings that he's given us that are displayed in our work life, our relationships and, and those things, we should be attesting to the, to the work of, of the Holy Spirit. And so I think maybe we almost to have a accurate view of the Holy Spirit have to kind of minimize our scope and start small to then be able to see the larger aspects of the Holy Spirit and I believe, even though to be honest, I don't know that I have evidences of my own own life. I, one one real practical experience is I always point to I, I lost my dad twelve years ago, and for some reason we sat around the table kind of talking about arrangements for his his service and celebration of life. And I spoke up and I said, "Is it okay if I if I did my dad's funeral?" Which I don't know that there was ever a moment in my life that I've ever been empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to get through it, to be able to communicate. And so that's one moment I can point to, though I, I struggle to point to others in my life, just in, in my own trials. But the more dependent we are on the Holy Spirit, doing hard things, doing the things that we can't do. I can't do this, God. I believe that's where the, the Holy Spirit steps into. He, he meets us in, in our I can'ts. That's good. It sounds like, and tell me if I'm, I'm accurate in this, uh, it sounds like the things I hear you saying are, we find the Holy Spirit in the daily grind uh, and almost uh, the, the suggestion, I don't know if you said it this way or not, but was like the idea of micro prayers, like asking God for little things, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit more love, a little bit more patience uh, in the day-to-day situations uh, of life. Yeah, I, I think because we miss those small things. So yes, I think, I think that's accurate what I'm trying to say, if I'm not saying it clearly. I agree. And I think it's because we miss out on those small things, we actually grow hardened to living a life dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we started this question with, what should we expect? Maybe the reason we don't experience the Holy Spirit more into a greater depth in our walk with Jesus is because we actually don't expect him to do anything hmm. because he hasn't in the past. Like we can point to times, you, Amy, Amy's story, like you're not coming through. Why are you not coming through? Even in my, my story, wait, why? why? Like why did my dad have, have to die? Those are, those are stories carried throughout humanity, all throughout our church and our relationships where we can say, God, you actually didn't. I thought you were powerful. Like, 
Yeah. Even the simple battles over daily grinds and sin. Wait, why is this a lifelong struggle? You know what I mean? Wherever each and every one of our bents are. And so it's mm-hmm. like in those things, we actually become hardened and we're actually not expectant. And again, I don't, I don't know that the Holy, that God is going to, God's going to continue to do what he wants through the power of his Holy Spirit. I do believe there's an aspect where we need to be driven to expect maybe what we've grown hardened to expect. Yeah, and just as kind of a sidebar to that, uh, I think what you're sensing in us not relying on the Holy Spirit uh, has been going on for a while and has had profound implications. There was an article in a missions journal written, I think back in the 1970s, that was uh, widely circulated. Uh, I think the guy's name was Paul Hebert or something like that. Uh, but the title of the article or the gist of the article was essentially Western missions are one of the most secularizing forces in the entire world. As Western missionaries were going out, they were actually somehow teaching people to be less spiritual. Uh, and a lot of that was worldview, which is one of the big things we're talking about uh, here at Redemption. Uh, but uh, uh, such a modernistic worldview in which you don't really count on God to do things. And so, you know, as they go and evangelize tribesmen who are asking their, their tribes spirits, uh, where should we go hunt? The answer of the Christian missionaries was God. God's not interested in that. That's not a question you would ask God. Uh, And it's interesting now uh, as we're addressing this question to say, hey, maybe we're actually a lot more secular than we would like to admit in the church. Mm. Maybe we really need to reevaluate what we're actually depending on God for, where we're going to the Holy Spirit and saying, I need your help. I'm inviting you to help. I need you in on this uh, because otherwise I'm no different than a non-believer. Uh, Amy, Danny, any thoughts? Yeah, um, yeah. There's a ton that you could say here. I, I, I think that you know, in in my walk with the Lord, um, recently, I've been more and more drawn to, uh, especially where Jesus talks about his relationship with the Spirit, which is really interesting. That Jesus Himself is baptized and then receives the Spirit of God and seems to be throughout his lifetime actually um, living through the power of the spirit, which is a very strange thing to like think about considering that he is fully God and fully man, but that he is actually in some ways teaching us that the life with God, communion with God, power from God um, is available through um, his life and death. And, and now since, like he says, um, since he's gone, actually we have something that's better, mm. arguably, yeah. um, which is a crazy thing to say in Western you know, churches, really. Um, and I'll just say from my own experience, that's a crazy thing to say. I'd rather have Jesus in the flesh, I think, yep. because I haven't, um, for whatever reason, um, maybe for lack of expectations, lack of... Um, resources, lack of diligence, um, received the power of the spirit like Jesus talks about in the New Testament. And then you carry that into what Paul says. And man, I mean, Paul is really big on this concept. And think about like Colossians 3, um, Romans 8, 
um, Ephesians, really the first half of Ephesians. I mean, you're getting right. these statements of gospel, what God has done for you, mm-hmm. but then always followed by now to be able to do this. You do this in communion with God through the power of the spirit, through the, the spirit um, doing the work. And so I, I think it, it's, a, it's a question that we need to wrestle with. We need to, um, you know, really, really take stock of like, how are we living? Um, and, and I think you guys are totally on to something that is um, really at the center of it is that like, like you're saying, Justin, I think that we, we don't see maybe the big things that the spirit could or would do in us. Um, oftentimes because we like to skip over the kind of foundational work that the spirit wants to do in us. I mean, I think about like Colossians three and it says, put off what's earthly in you, which is a list of basically all things that have to do with being selfish and being self driven. And then to put on essentially the new man, which all has to do with the fruit of being with God, which is the fruit Mm -hmm. of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, and self-control and, something that is completely other than our nature, really naturally. Um, and so many of us don't get to maybe the stage where we would see like healing and, and miracles happen um, because we are actually living in an earthly state still. Mm. Um, and and I, I just wanted to pull a quote um, from, I'm having to read a lot on discipleship these days. And um, John Kostler in his book, True Discipleship says that spiritual maturity is not attained instantaneously when we experience the new birth. So in other words, like God doesn't zap you into perfection. Mm-hmm. You have a- access to God now through what he's done in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, you can commune with God. But that's, I mean, you know, you get into the rest of the New Testament and it's never an assumed thing that you are just gonna be tight with God without you really um, seeking him and yeah. learning to, to live the new life in the new, in, through the, the experience guidance and um, with his power. So uh, again, a lot, a lot to say here, um, but I do think it's, um, something that unfortunately a lot of folks are missing. Um, and the way that, especially Paul talks about it, I, it has me really, really considering like, man, is there something more here? Um, Cause I, I'd really would love to be that close with God and see really yeah. what he um, could do through. Yeah. Somebody was yielded to him. And it's interesting because you bring up Paul uh, and it's, I feel like it's clear in Philippians 3 where Paul's talking about closeness with the Lord and he doesn't even seem to have attained it yet to the point of talking yeah, about, sure. hey, like I'm just starting to get a vision for it, whatever it takes. I want to be made like him in his death uh, and in his resurrection. So you hear Paul's like, not desperation, but just longing for it and desire to do whatever it's going to take to get him just a little bit further. And then even to go back to your point about Jesus, yeah, I don't know how much of my life I live thinking, well, Jesus does that because he's God or Jesus is like that because he's God. And yet when you read through the gospels, you see stuff, I think it's in Luke 5, 17, where Jesus is out ministering and there's a statement in the passage where it says, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal. And it's like, wait, what? Okay, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but doesn't Jesus just like heal because he's God? Mm. And I think you're right. When you lean into the baptism uh, and the spirit descending upon him, like there's something that happens, 
because Jesus insists on being baptized. And it's not, you know, like we like to say, the, the outward sign of an interchange, because Jesus didn't have an interchange. He's always been divine. He's on, on mission now, but why did he have to be baptized? Why was it necessary to fulfill all righteousness? Yeah. And in that case, I think righteousness probably leans into more of a justice or making things right, mm-hmm. which is his ministry. And he needed the Holy Spirit to go about ministry. And when you look at Jesus that way, all of a sudden you can't just punt and say, well, Jesus does that because Jesus is Jesus. He's God. He's leaning into his divinity and his superpowers as Jesus to do all this stuff. It's like, no, he's not. Because as you get to, and this is the the, un, the not talked about Great Commission uh, in the Gospel of John. I know we started out saying the Gospel of Luke is where I'd go, but hey, let's go to John, right? <laughs> Got him. Where the Great Commission there is, as the Father sent me, so I... I also send you, yeah. uh, which is the same as what it is in, in other passages, just worded a little bit differently. But there it's pretty stark. Hey, everything you've seen me doing, you need to go do that now. Uh, which if you're leaning into the Jesus is doing this because he's divine, creates a real issue for us. The same time, sorry, I, I got a lot of thoughts no, off what good. you said. Yeah. Um, as you're looking at all of the inner work and the building up of the inner man and Mm -hmm. the character of a person. Uh, And you had made the statement, maybe a lot of the reason we don't see bigger things from God is because we're, we just haven't developed the maturity. Mm -hmm. The thing that's always baffled me is Jesus is born like hundred percent God, hundred percent man, right? 30 years, historians would say Jesus lived as Jesus, the man with the God part's still there, but just not really, he was growing up. He was growing in wisdom and stature among men and God, I think is what Luke says. 30 years of that before the last three years of his life, which is what he poured into ministry. It's baffling that even, you know, the divine savior of the world took 30 years to grow as a person and build up this character and this this infrastructure within himself to be able to carry the mantle or the weight of this mission that he was given. And how many of us just sit down and say, hey, <laughs> had a bad weekend, you know, I can't even name the number of sins I committed, but yeah. you know what, this Monday, I'm serious about it. I'm gonna pray and I wanna <laughs> see God move in my life. Yeah. Um, not that God's gonna be like, no way, I know what you did last weekend, you know, I'm not doing anything for you. But I think there is just a lack of understanding that this is a relationship that we cultivate. Mm -hmm. And while God is filled with grace and love and patience, there is a sense in which like, you know, you you need to live in such a way Mm -hmm. as to... I don't know what I'm trying to say. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's how you would say it. (laughs) Not lose what you've already tried to build up. Yeah. So... I don't know. I feel like that wasn't entirely <laughs> theologically accurate. It feels kind of like... I just think it's one of those things we're all wrestling with because, yeah. again, where we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, a person of God that's unseen, but yet is so powerful and yet, biblically speaking, is so very present. And so I just... Danny alluded to it. He even asked the question like, there's, there's got to be more. And so I, I just think there's, there's a depth here that all of us don't even know of when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit. And so maybe we, 
we just take Jesus' words at face value, that it was better for him to ascend into heaven and leave us and give us his Holy Spirit. And so in every practical way, could we press more into that and ask the question, there's gotta be more and just pursue and press more into that power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm fired up. This has yeah. been a good discussion. Good. I uh, I would love to see us. I want to see myself lean more into the day-to-day, like micro prayer. Hey, I need you for this. Uh, what are you saying about this? Uh, and learn to build up those little things uh, and see what can eventually be built. Yeah. So Same. Awesome. Well, uh, that's about all the time we have. Uh, Thank you for joining us here on The Post. If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to click follow, subscribe, or like on your podcasting app just to make sure you get notified when we release an episode. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear those. Just connect with us via email, info at redemptionmi.org, or you can send us a message on social media at RedemptionMI on Facebook or RedemptionChurchMI on Instagram. Until next week, have a good time.